Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, believe it or not, I, Brent Ingersoll, have spanned five decades. My life has touched into five decades. I have lived through the 80s and into the 90s and then the zeros or whatever you call them, the 2000s. I lived through the 10s, and now here we are in the roaring 20s. And I've noticed something over my five decades of observation. Now, I'm not 50 years old, for those of you who are wondering. However, I have, my life has touched those five decades at this point, and I've noticed something. That things have a way of going in and out of style. That something could be in style, and then it goes out of style. And if you live long enough, you will realize that thing's going to come back around full circle. You just wait. Actually, about every 10, maybe 20 years, you see trends kind of come and then go. And I've noticed that in my life. I've seen it in my life. I've observed it. Now, there's something that happens as we get older. Now, we learn, one, that if we hold on to clothes long enough, they'll probably come back in style. So just tuck that away for 20 years, and that might be good at another date. If you've learned that, maybe say it in the chat. We, we figured that out. And then something else happens as you get even older. You stop caring about trends altogether. And you're just like, you know what? This is me. I am that I am. I'm going to stick with this from here on out. Now, I think men, we hit that wall harder and earlier than women. We aren't as fashion savvy generally to begin with. And then somewhere when we kind of hit 40, we get that zone where, where I'm getting. We just decide, you know what? I don't have another fashion change in me. I'm just going to stick with this here on out. And so I'll probably be wearing skinny jeans till I'm 90. That's probably how this is going to go. But here's the deal. I've learned that fashion trends, they come in and out. I've seen it now as I have my own kids. My daughter's 12. She's in middle school. And she is now exploring her own little style according to the things that are in style in her kind of circle of friends in her school. And I have seen her wear things that were in fashion when I was a kid. Like now they're, they're wearing fanny packs again. Fanny packs. Now, we used to pick on people that wore fanny packs when I was in, in junior high school, but when I was in elementary school, those were in style. And then, of course, now I'm seeing back in style high waisted pants on the ladies. Now, we called those mom jeans, and I don't think my mom's clothes were all that appealing to me as a little kid, but now my daughter's wearing these high waisted jeans. I have learned this to be true that. Things that were once in style have a tendency to go back out of style, but that doesn't mean that they won't come back in style. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up and the reason I want to share this is not because this this summer I'm going to be celebrating my 20th high school reunion and fully expect to see puka shells and frosted tips. It's not because of that. I'm actually bringing this up today because I have a proclamation and it goes with what the Lord's put on my heart. And that is this, that something has gone out of fashion in the church in the West that I believe is going to make a comeback. There's something that has gone out of fashion in the 21st century Western church, at least here in our region. It's gone out of fashion, and I believe it's about to make a big comeback. Now, hang on with that thought. If you've been tracking with us over the last little bit, we've been studying the book of Revelation. We have been going through it verse by verse and bit by bit, trying to get a handle on what this mysterious and often confusing book has to say to us. And we've learned some things over the last year. 
We've learned that the book of Revelation is actually called the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And the purpose of this book is to help us see, to actually reveal to us hidden truths about the world we live in and things that are coming to us. It's actually to show us what is now that we have not seen and what is coming that we have not yet seen. And it tells us this ultimate truth that behind the veil of what you and I see, regardless of what you think or regardless of what you think you see, the book of Revelation has a huge proclamation and that is this, that the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is ruling and reigning currently on the throne of the universe. That is the big revelation of the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's that the lamb is on the throne and despite what you see, dare to believe that he rules and reigns right now in real time. And if you believe it, you can say amen in the chat. We've learned that and we've learned that the lamb is establishing his kingdom in the here and now. And he's doing that. And as he's doing that, he's actually eradicating or pushing back the forces of darkness, getting rid of them. He's getting hell and sin and death and Satan and disease and decay. His kingdom is the kingdom of life and it's coming against those things and removing them and eradicating them from his creation. And that will happen ultimately at some point. And we've learned this huge thing in all of this, that the lamb is calling humanity to himself. That he wants nobody to perish along with sin and Satan and death, but his, his humans, his people, his creations, the one he made in his image, he's actually calling back to himself to receive life, redemption, salvation, transformation, and all that our soul ultimately longs for. And now we've arrived at this point in the middle of the book of Revelation where we've learned that the way that the Lamb is calling humanity, calling the nations back to himself, is not through pain and difficulty, but actually through his witnesses. It's actually through his church that will rise up and step out in their day, calling people back to the Lamb. This is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. This section in the middle, this main point to the church in the book of Revelation is that calling the church to rise up, to actually bear witness to the reality of the Lamb, calling all people to come and receive grace and peace and forgiveness and redemption. This is the message of Revelation. This is what the book meant in 96 AD when it first started circulating. It was a message to those Christians. Hey, despite what you see, this is your moment to step out and stand up and call people back to come to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And this, we've been saying, is the message for us. Here in 2021 in Atlantic Canada, we believe that Jesus Christ, this same lamb, the same living word is speaking to us, calling us to step out and rise up and bear witness to the lamb in our day, calling this region back to himself. That, that excites me and that is the message. And so we've been asking this question over the last few weeks just to catch you up. What does it look like for the church, for the, for the witnesses, for the church to bear witness to the lamb in our day? What does it look like for the church to bear witness to the Lamb in our day? And we found over the last few weeks, as we've unpacked chapters 10 and 11, it's a prophetic picture of the church. It's a picture of the temple of God. Who are the temple of God? We are the temple of God. It's a picture of the holy city. Who's the holy city? We are the city on a hill. It's a picture of the lampstands. It's a picture of the witnesses. It's a picture of the church and how we are called to bear witness to the world around us. And we've been unpacking the picture over the past few weeks and we've already learned two major things. That the witnesses call forth the nations through the word, 
and through the works of God, through the power of God. We talked about that last week. And this week, I want to look at another quality, another way, that it, another thing that it means, another way that it looks for us to bear witness. And that is through our ways, through our ways. Let's look back at the text really quick. And I want, I want, to, I want to point it out again. I, I highlighted it when we read it at, the, at first, but let's make sure we don't miss it. Verse 3, he says... This is the lamb talking and he says, and he gives a promise and he says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will be clothed in burlap. Clothed in burlap. Now I bet you didn't tune in today expecting to hear a sermon about burlap, but here we are. What does this mean? What is this talking about? Why is it talking about what they're wearing at all? Why does it matter what the witnesses are wearing? This vision moves from being given power and speaking the word and prophesying to wearing burlap. Seems a little weird, a little inconsequential, but if we dig a little deeper, you're going to find something quite profound. What is it? Let's ask that question. What is it about the appearance of the witnesses? What is it about this detail? What is it about burlap or sackcloth, some other translations say, that this, the scripture, that the spirit through John is trying to speak to the church? What is the point of the burlap? Well, here, here's an idea. Now, if we remember something, the book of Revelation wasn't written in a vacuum. It's connected to the totality of scripture and the totality of the message of the gospel. And we see burlap and sackcloth all throughout the scripture, and it carries its own prophetic meaning. Burlap and sackcloth in the Bible are a picture of something. They are a statement piece. If we're talking about fashion, burlap in the Bible is the ultimate, ultimate statement piece. That's, that's what burlap is. Burlap carried a bunch of meaning. It's all kind of in the same vein. It's actually a prophetic garment that, that, that prophets wore or people who are mourning wore. And you see it a few different times in a few different ways throughout the scripture. First and foremost, here's what the burlap signifies in the scripture. It signifies, it's a picture of separation and designation for God's purposes. If you remember, some characters in the Bible, some heroes of the, of the faith wore burlap. Elijah, we are told, wore burlap. John the Baptist, we are told, was clothed in burlap. A voice in the wilderness, clothed in burlap. And that's what the picture of burlap represents. It's this separate person, this person who has been set aside to where burlap means I have been consecrated and set apart for the purposes of God. I am a voice in the wilderness. I am one who's not afraid to step out and stand out and wear something that everyone else is going to look at and say, why are you wearing that? That's what burlap represents. It represents submission and resignation to God's greatness. It's a picture of, of, of being humbled before the glory and majesty of God. Is there anything more meek and more lowly for a, a person to wear than burlap? There's not. It's not royal. It's not prestigious. It does not draw attention to itself because of its own innate value. What burlap says is the most valuable thing is not on me, it's him. It's burlap. Burlap's a picture of repentance and return to God's kingdom. If you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah was sent to Nineveh, a wicked, a wicked people that God was going to bring judgment on. But just like God does in the book of Revelation, he sends out a witness to call them back to himself, to give them a chance to avoid destruction. And what, and what does he do? Jonah goes and he, and he tells the people of Nineveh, Nineveh about, about God to call them back to God. And we find out they, they repent. The city repents and they wore burlap as a show of their repentance 
repentance and turning to God. That's burlap. And then ultimately burlap, especially here in the book of Revelation, is a picture calling for sobriety. It's a, it's a picture of mourning and sorrow about the impending judgment and doom that if you don't change your ways, if you don't change your course, Nineveh, if you don't change your course, Atlantic Canada, you are heading for destruction. That's what the burlap represents. It is the ultimate statement piece. So now that you understand what burlap is all about, let's apply this. So what? What about burlap? What does this mean? Well, it's a picture. It's a picture of standout living. It's a picture of what it looks like when we wear our witness, when we wear our faith. It's a call to us to recognize that to be a witness means that our appearance, our very appearance, when people look at us, the, the lives that we live are going to call out a truth about God. That's what the burlap represents. It's this idea that there's no such thing as a secret Christian. It's the call to the appearance of the witness. It's about how we look, how we live, how we act, how we operate, how we move in this world. It's, this, is, this is the message. It's about when people see our appearance, not just the deeds that we do or the words that we say, but how we carry ourselves in our day-to-day -day ordinary life is supposed to bear witness to the Lamb. It's supposed to speak your life when people look at you, burlap living, Sackcloth faith is when people look at you, they don't see you and all your glory and all your greatness. They see the lamb and his goodness and greatness. That's what this is ta talking about. It's talking about it. So what we're going to do is we're all going to wear burlap from now on. This is the application of the message. No, you know that's not what it's talking about. And it's not talking about wearing Jesus shirts or handing out tracts. It's actually talking about your lifestyle. The way you live and move and breathe and have your being in this world, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about our lives. I was reminded of this this week. I, I got the good, the, just the blessing of someone sending me a message and they said, hey, I saw you. I saw you at a conference. You were a speaker at the conference and, and yeah, your message was great, but I saw you do something. That no one, you didn't think anyone saw you do it. And that spoke way more than what you said on the stage. That's burlap living. It's the stuff we do ordinarily. Not when we have a platform. Not when we take a selfie and we post, the, post ourselves doing our devotions on Insta. It's actually how we live and move and operate as disciples of Jesus in this world. It's supposed to say there is a God and his name is Jesus. It's not supposed to be invisible. It's supposed to be noticeable. It's supposed to stand out as much as somebody walking downtown wearing burlap head to toe. You can't avoid it. You can't miss it. That's what this is getting at. It's about wearing our witness. So here's the question I want to answer just very quickly. And I'm going to give you some handles and I want you to think about some things today. Here's the question. How do we wear our witness? What does it mean? What does it mean to actually wear our faith, to walk in faith, to actually be people of the lamb who when people look at us, they see the lamb and our lives bear witness, burlap living. It bears witness to the greatness of King Jesus. How, how do we do that? How do we, how do we wear our faith out without wearing our faith out? How do we actually do that? I, I know we've all seen it done wrong, haven't we? We've all seen issues and we've all seen people who have, who have actually misrepresented the king by how they live. And so let's ask the question, what do we need to consider when it comes to this, this message about being witnesses who are clothed in burlap, clothed in a lifestyle? What do we need to consider? I've got three things. I hope you're taking notes. 
These are important. I've, I just feel how important this message is today. Here's the first thing I want you to consider, church. This is, this is it. When it comes to wearing our witness, when it comes to bringing burlap back, and it's making a comeback, here's the first thing. We as believers, here's the starting place. It's this. It's all about identity. You actually have to put on your identity as a Christian. You have to put it on. Now, there's a lot said today about identity, isn't there? I mean, that is, that is the ultimate conversation of value right now in the world we live in. You, you, you have heard people say, I identify as this, or I identify as this, or I identify as they, or I identify as... You can go on Facebook right now, and there are over 70 unique and custom identities, gender identities that you can put. I mean, we live in a time where, where identity is the most sacred thing about a person. And, and it is absolutely so sacred that you cannot call into question anybody's identity. And you, you have to be true to yourself and you find your identity deep within. But let me say something that is politically incorrect, but true to the scripture. Let me say something that might come off as offensive to some of you who aren't ready to hear it. Here it is. Are you ready? If you are a Christian, that is your primary identity. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus follower is your primary identity that you wear. It is your central, ruling, personal identity. Before I am Brent Ingersoll, before I am a dad, before I am a husband, before I am a pastor, before I am a preacher, I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. It is something I wear. I, we identify as Christian. We present ourselves to the world as Christian. We live our lives as Christian men and women. And all of the other titles take a back seat. They all take a back seat. I love that they don't have names. You notice that in Revelation, the two witnesses don't have names. We aren't told who they are. It doesn't matter. They're wearing burlap. Why? Because it's speaking about, they're there to bring one name forward, not theirs, Jesus. There's one title they want to establish, not theirs, Jesus. Putting on Christ over everything. That's what this means. Paul knew it. Paul talked about it. If you ever want to read the, one of the best texts on identity, read Galatians. The early Christians were having a really hard time with this. Am I Jewish or am I Christian? Am I Greek or am I Christian? Am I, what am I? And if you read the book of Galatians, Paul sets it straight. Look what he says. He says, all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. You didn't find him within yourself. You weren't staying true to yourself. You yielded yourself and you put on Christ. He came from without. He came down from heaven outside of you and established himself on you. That's what Christianity is. We've put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Think of that picture. Have you put on Christ like putting on new clothes? There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul, he says in Galatians 2, he says, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live through faith in him who died for me and gave himself up for me. My identity is Christ. I've put that identity on. Paul said, I've put to death the fact that I'm a Pharisee. I've put to death the fact that I'm a tent maker. I've put to death the fact that I'm very smart or persuasive. My identity is now Christ. 
the Lamb. When we come to faith, when we come to faith in Jesus, we put on that new identity for better and worse. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of the time we're very quick to talk about putting his identity over our shame or over our past or over our mistakes or over our humiliation or the things that we want to forget. But how often do we, we stop there? And Jesus says, no, I'm, 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 I want your whole life, not just the things that you're ashamed of, also the things that you're proud of. Put his identity over your smarts over your capacity, over your success, over your degrees, over your identity, good and bad, high or low, your identity is now Christ. That is the message. See, we made this critical mistake in the West. We've, had, we've actually separated this, this idea of being Christian from identity. Christianity for a lot of people is more just about a belief system that actually validates their identity as they see it. But that's never what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to validate you. He did not come to just say, you know what? I am here for Brent. Brent, what do you want? I'm here to help make that happen. That is not what he came to do. And nothing could be further from the truth in the language that Jesus spoke. Like, look at some of the things he said when he invited us to believe in him. He, he never said, hey, can I come into your heart? Can I come help? That's not what he said. He's a king, establishing a kingdom, inviting us to live according to that kingdom, yielding our lives to him. Look what he said. One of his central messages was this, follow me, which means what? He's leading. Him first. A lot of the time, I think we want Jesus to follow us. Follow me, Jesus. And then we wonder why he's not. Why didn't, why, where were you? He's like, I was over here. You didn't follow. He said, follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said, learn from me. Educate yourself from Jesus. Learn from him. Re learn from the gospels. Learn from him. Not, not learn from Twitter. Not learn from the blogosphere. Learn from him. It's about a new mind. It's about transforming your mind. It says, trust me. I love this scripture. Whoever hears my words, he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, See that? It's not just about hearing his words or agreeing that they sound good. It's about doing them. That's what James is talking about. Don't just be hearers, be doers of the word. He says, obey me. We love that word, don't we? Obey me, he says. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? If I'm Lord, if I'm king, do what I say is what he's saying. But we have in the West, we have bought into a lie that you can be a Christian because you only believe. It's just not true. It's just not true. Now, some of you are, there's something bucking inside of some people. Let me press on this. Just because you believe in Jesus does not make you a follower of Jesus. You can believe in something and not follow something. You can believe in someone and not know someone. This is what James is talking about. He says, you say you have faith for you believe that there's one God. He's like, congratulations. Well done, sir. Because even the demons believe and they tremble. They tremble in terror. How foolish, he says. Can't you see the faith without good deeds is useless? You got to wear this faith. You got to walk in your identity as, in, in Christ. You can, you can believe in Jesus, but that's very different than yielding and aligning with Jesus, following Jesus. Jesus' goal is not simply that we believe in him. It's that we be like him. 
His goal is not just that we believe in him. There's going to be people in hell for eternity that believe in him. His goal is that we would follow him and be like him. See, I believe it's time that the church hears a message that says we need to bring followership back. We need to bring discipleship back. We need to bring the type of Christianity that is noticeable. Like, let me ask you a tough question today. Does anybody know you're a Christian other than the church? Yeah, okay, the people that you go to church with know you're Christian, but like, does anybody know that you're a Christian? I think God is pushing his church out there to say, if you're going to follow me, people are going to know. There's no more secret Christians anymore. I think the Lord is putting that to death here in Atlantic Canada and calling us to rise up and stand up and live out the burlap lifestyle that says, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. I'm not scared to wear it. I'm not scared to own it. Like if you keep bumping into people, remember, remember back, our, our, this happened at our church all the time. Like don't, some of you are watching today, you've had this happen to you. You've come to this large church and you bumped into someone and you're like, hey, you go to this church too? And not only are you surprised that they go to this church, you're surprised that they go to church at all, right? You're like, wow, I did not expect to see you here. And you're like, yeah, I've been coming here for 10 years. Like, that's bad, that's not good. See, God is separating the witnesses from those who will wear a cross around their neck as a fashion piece to those who will wear a cross as a lifestyle. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors and Christian thinkers, he said it like this. For at least several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. Wow. One is not required to be or in to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's burlap living. It's putting it on and saying, I am a follower of Jesus. This is my primary identity. This is my primary pursuit. I live that people would know him. I live that my life would demonstrate the good news of Jesus and that he saves. That is what it means. It's about putting it on. It's about wearing it. It's about owning it. It's about saying, I'm a follower of the lamb. Your life should speak to the fact that you have yielded to the lamb. That should be the first thing in someone else's dialogue with Jesus is that, well, I've seen Brent and it seems like he believes that Jesus is Lord. Will you stand up and stand out and say, I am his. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think, I think we are stepping into a time where the Lord is dividing the church in such a way that people who want to continue on in marginal Christianity, camouflage Christianity, that can't be told or separated from the world at all, I believe they are fading away right now in this season. And it is the people who want to be disciples that are going to remain. I think the Lord is doing that. It's about wearing. It's about wearing our witness. It's about identity. Here's the second thing. Wearing our witness is about activity. It's about activity. It's not just being associated with Jesus or standing up, but it's actually walking it out. It's standing it out. Maybe a better, a better word, if I could edit my own message, would be stepping out. It's the doing. 
It's how you go and live and move and operate and navigate in this world. This is what, it, this is what burlap living is. It's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle that knows how to live and move in this world and avoid the pitfalls. Look at, what, look at what Peter says, the apostle Peter. He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. My favorite translation, some of you might have it. It says as aliens. Now I was referring more to like nationality, but I like thinking about little green men because I'm a nerd like that. But it says, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, among the world, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, so think about that, your burlap living is going to be repulsive to some and in some ways. And then he says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. It's also going to be applauded. What's Peter talking about here? He's talking about the way that we live and move in this world. As we follow Jesus, Peter says, look, your lives are going to stand out. They're going to be alien. They're going to look like you come from another na like nationality. Has, has anybody ever befriended someone or somebody? We have people in our church that, that come from other countries and we know they come from other countries. They aren't trying to hide it. They couldn't if they wanted to. And Peter's saying just like that, just like as a foreigner moves into your country, you as a Christian are from another country. You're, you have another nationality now. And you should stand out the same way that somebody from Africa who, who moves to Atlantic Canada knows, you know what, I'm going to stand out a little bit. We as Christians need to embody that as well. You should stand out at your workplace. You should stand out in your, on your team. You should stand out as a Christian, as, as an alien. You will be alien, Peter said, and he said this, expect accusation and expect applause. He says, expect condemnation and expect crowds of approval, both. It's not, it's both and, and you're never going to be able to tell which it is. And this is generally where Christianity gets into trouble. We end up stepping into one of two extremes. You've seen it before where some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, right? They set up shop and they separate themselves altogether and the, their witness is actually repulsive to the world around them. They think if that's your Jesus, I don't want anything to do with him. You're a cult and you're weird. And we've also seen the opposite, where you're so earthly that there's no heaven. You have no witness. People don't even know you're a Christian, which is back to my first point. So how do we do it? What does it look like to navigate this world? Well, I, I, I thought about it like this. Standout faith is Christ-centered. It's us as we follow Jesus not trying to get cute with the world around us, but as we follow Jesus, he's going to lead us down the narrow path and it is not going to fall into the left or to the right ditches. It is going to infiltrate the world that we live in. God so loved the world that he came. The, the, the word became flesh and we are called to go into the world and engage it, not avoid it. You, you, we won't evacuate. We've all seen the sectarian mentality of Christianity that, that sets up high walls and we dress a certain way and we've got to wear long skirts and we've got we to make sure that everybody knows that we're, we're different and we're Christian by how we, we, we wear our clothes and how we kind of set up these high walls of, of, of difference. And that is not what this is talking about. It's not talking about being set apart in such a way that you're not ever accessible. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus came into the world. Jesus was, Jesus was called a friend of sinners, a drunkard, a glutton. Look, some of you Christians, you don't even, do you have any friends that aren't Christians? Because 
Evacuation and avoiding the world is not the solution. That is not burlap living. Those witnesses were right out among the nations. Did you notice that in Revelation 11? They were right out there. But it's also not assimilation. You're seeing that in the church now. There, there is a growing wave of denominations and churches that you can't actually tell that they're Christian at all. There's nothing about them. They've just absorbed the culture. They've, there's no authority in scripture anymore. You know, you believe this, I believe that. You have it your way, I'll have it my way. And it's just this wishy-washy absorption of culture. And that is not how it looks either. As we follow Jesus, we infiltrate the world and we imitate Jesus full of grace and truth. And here's the thing I know about Jesus. He never fit in any of the extremes. You notice that? Like he never fit the extremes. Like you, you know that Jesus is not a liberal, right? Like he's not a liberal. He, he's not left wing. In fact, he's more left wing than the most leftist lefties could ever be. He'd make Justin Trudeau blush on some things. And yet he is way too conservative to be liberal. And Jesus was also way, way, way too liberal to be conservative. He did not fit. He did not fit. And this is what Peter's getting at. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds. It's about being alien. It's about navigating this world, following Jesus, knowing, you know what? If I fit into the culture, great. If I don't, great. If, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I'm wearing burlap either way. That's what this is all about. Jesus said it like this. You're just going to be different. Expect to be different. Expect to not fit in. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You can't assimilate. Christians, we can't look like the world. We cannot look like the world and call ourselves Christians. That's not Christianity. Jesus did not blend in. He couldn't hide even when he was trying to. He's telling people, don't tell people about me. And the crowds just grew. We can't just fit in. We're salt. Because you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. Set it out there. Stand up in your faith. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. This is the words of Jesus. Does this sound like a passive faith? Does this sound like a Christianity that's something I just think about in my head but don't live out in my life? He says, my witnesses are gonna stand up they're going to stand out. They're going to be like the thing that brings flavor to the world. They're going to be a preserving force of good. They're going to be a light on a stand. They're going to be a city on a hill. You're not going to be able to miss them. His design is that you and I, that we, the, the Christians, the witnesses would establish and expand his kingdom. We'd establish his rule and reign on the earth. This is what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. This is what it means to be an apostle. You know what an apostle was? That's a word that Jesus stole from the emperor. The emperor had apostles. This is the Roman emperor. He would actually send out rulers to go out into newly occupied towns and make those towns like Rome. That's what an apostle did. Uh, to be apostolic is to make these towns like heaven. 
Let's be an apostolic church. Let's be an apostolic people that makes my household like heaven, that makes these streets like heaven. That's what the call of Christ is. I believe, and let me just prophesy, I believe that stand up, stand out faith is making a comeback. I think the church has already moved past that kind of weary, marginal Christianity. And those people have already drifted off. I hope they come back and they come back as real Christians. But the ones who remain, the remnant that God is working with in Atlantic Canada are rising up right now in real faith and we're putting that on. We'll wear the burlap and stand out in this region. We are a peculiar, salty people. God is calling us up and out to wear and walk out this faith. A faith that looks like Jesus. Can I get an amen? A faith that looks like Jesus in the here and now. It looks like Jesus. It looks like grace. A faith that that looks like grace. It shines the grace of Jesus. It looks like peace. It looks like mercy. It looks like hope. It looks like freedom. It looks like power. It looks like liberty. It looks like forgiveness. It looks like restoration and restitution. It looks like all the things that Jesus embodied. That's what we're called to wear. We're called to step out in it. I think he's asking, can he get a witness in Atlantic Canada? Can he get a witness in Atlanta, Canada in 2021? Okay, so almost done. Piano's gonna start on the track in just a second. So you, just, you know I'm almost done. But here, 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 let's bring it in for a landing. Okay, so we gotta be like Jesus, right? Like, like that's really the call. Burlap living is to wear a life that says, see Jesus in me. Let my life be a canvas to, to, to call you to the Lamb, to call you to Christ. Now, if that's the call that we need to be like Jesus, all of us who have been following Jesus for any amount of time, there's something in your mind that goes, uh-oh, because I've tried to be like Jesus and I have not succeeded. Has anybody tried to be like Jesus? Have you tried to be full of compassion and grace, full of humility and forgiveness and peace, full of power that moves mountains. Have you found that attempt to be futile in your life? I have. See, the reality is most of us fail to wear out our faith, not because we didn't know that was the call, but because we tried and we failed. We tried behavior modification. We tried to be like Jesus and we didn't do it. Now, here's the key. Here's the key to wearing our witness. Wearing our witness is ultimately about intimacy. It's about intimacy. You have to press into Jesus. This is, the, this is the subtle shift. A lot of the time you'll hear a message like this and the mistake, what the devil wants you to hear is I gotta get up, I gotta stand up in my own power and I gotta do better. That is not the call. The call is to be like Jesus and the way that you be like Jesus is to be with Jesus. That's how it's done. Christ-likeness is the fruit. It's the byproduct of our efforts to be intimate with him, not to imitate him. Let me say that again. Christ-likeness is the byproduct. It's the fruit of our efforts to be intimate with Jesus more than to imitate Jesus. If you make your effort to imitate Jesus, you're going to fall infinitely short. Now, I know some of you are like, hey, there's a scripture that says be imitators of Christ. Yes, but the way that you are, you are an imitator of Christ is through intimacy with Christ. See, if you get with Jesus, if you develop intimacy with Jesus, fruitfulness just happens. You can't stop it even if you wanted to. You just start to become like him. Jesus expects us to be like him. 
through the transformation that comes through his grace. See, that's the hope of this message. Your and my job is not to be more like Jesus, to be more with Jesus that makes us more like Jesus. Your job and my job, as Jesus said, is to abide, to remain. Look at how he said it. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, other translations say abide, stay. Your job is to stay in him. That means go where he leads you, do what he asks you, and work to remain in his presence. That's the job of a Christian. That's how you put on the identity of Christ. That's how you bear fruit that looks like Jesus. It's through remaining in him. And I in them, he says, I'll produce much fruit. They will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, that's a big word right there, nothing. If Jesus is not the one, if it's not his grace taking up residence inside of you, you can behavior modify all day long, but you are gonna fall infinitely short. But Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And that is the difference. It's all about grace. It's about making our efforts in pursuing Jesus. If you want, if you hear this message and something's rattling in you, you're like, you know what? I got to stop being so half-hearted in my faith. I do need to step up. I do need to stand out. I do need to open my mouth. I do need people to know that I believe in Jesus. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. I got to step out. Here's the deal though. Do not be deceived today. Don't go out there and start trying to do it on your own. The way that you live standout faith is through intimacy with Jesus. And as you grow in intimacy with Jesus, you learn his voice, you obey what he says, you begin to change and your life becomes different. It will stand out. You won't be able to help it. Grace changes us. Look what Dallas Willard goes on to say. I love this. I love this quote. He helps, this help, this will help somebody. Let me read this in closing. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Which, what does he mean? He means, yes, you need to try in your Christian life. That is not a bad word in the Christian doctrine, is try, make an effort, but don't be deceived. The effort is not being like Jesus. The effort is being with Jesus. Make him your pursuit. Make pursuing Jesus your effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. To grow in grace means to utilize more and more grace to live by until everything we do is assisted by grace. Some of you never thought about it like that before. You thought grace was just to forgive your sin, but no, grace is the thing that transforms you. And, the, and look what he goes on to say. Then whatever we do in word or deed will all be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. The greatest saints are not those who need less grace, or the least grace, but those who consume the most grace, who indeed are most in need of grace, those who are saturated by grace in every dimension of their being. Grace to them is like breath. It's like the sustenance that comes from the vine. How many of you know that big ripe fruit needs more water? And so do the great saints. The people who are most like Christ need the most grace. And how do you get the most grace? It's with him who is grace, Jesus. The key is intimacy. Here's the guide. Fight to obey him. Fight to stay with him. And then you will be like him. 
That's the thing that I believe he's saying. Look, let me just prophesy for a second in, in closing. I want to just say it. Burlap is making a comeback. Christ-likeness is making a comeback. Christians who look like Jesus is making a comeback. Christians who have conviction is making a comeback. People who will stand up and stand out and say, I don't care what it costs me. I am a follower of Jesus and I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want the whole world to know it's less of me and more of him. He must increase. I must decrease. Those type of Christians are making a comeback in Atlanta, Canada. And we're going to stop treating our Christianity like some kind of secret thing that we have over here. And we're going to start wearing it. I was thinking about it like this. I thought, I don't know if, if it was me or the Lord or if it was both and he was using language that I would understand. But I heard him say, Brent, stop treating your faith like a Costco membership. Costco did not pay me to hold this up in front of thousands of people today. But nonetheless, this will work. Stop treating your faith like a Costco membership. You know, some of us think of our faith as this, this good thing that we have. Some of us are even platinum members, right? We pull it out when we need it. Like, oh, I'm going through hard times. Better go to, you know, that's not what this is. Stop thinking of your faith as a Costco membership, as something that you have access to when you need it here and there. Your Christianity is something that clothes you. It's something that you wear. It's the reality that you walk in. It's the air that you breathe. It's the value system you bring up your family in. It's your priorities. That's what it means. Start seeing your whole self as covered by the lamb, as in devotion to the lamb. Wear it. We're bringing burlap back. Here's a few questions and we'll pray. First question is this. Have I owned the call to be a disciple? Have you actually put it on yet? Or have you kind of kept it at a safe distance? Do you primarily identify as a Christian first and foremost? What labels, identifiers are competing for primacy? What other labels are you like, you know what, when I think about, when you, here's, a, here's a test. When you think about yourself, what comes to mind first? It's supposed to be Jesus. It's supposed to be Christian. Number two, how alien am I? Do you stand out? Are your ways foreign in this world? Are your cares, values, concerns, actions, attitudes, and character distinguishable from the world around you? Do you receive accusation because you follow Jesus? Do you receive applause because you follow Jesus? Both of those things come with the territory. How alien are you? Finally, this. Am I changing? Am I bearing real fruit? If no, repent means turn to Jesus. Reset and re-aim your life at knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus, and you will bear much fruit. Make him your pursuit, and you will bear much fruit. Let's bring Burlap back, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this call. Thank you for this reminder. Lord, we just pray as King's Church, as one people, Lord, we just say we've heard you today, and we've heard the call. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness for times where we've held back and we've lived life in the shadows. We ask forgiveness, Lord, when we've let other identities supersede our identity as followers of Jesus. Lord, we hear the call, the same call that you gave the Apostle Peter and James when you said, leave your nets and come follow me. It was an, it was an abandonment of everything to follow you. And Lord, I pray you give us that abandoned faith 
that faith that puts on the label of Christian, that wears it like burlap, that we don't care what it looks like and we don't care if it stands out, Lord. And I pray that in this hour and in this day, in 2021, that the church would rise up and really demonstrate what it looks like to be witnesses of the Lamb. Lord, not getting duped by the deceptions of the enemy, falling into the ditches of left and right and, you know, being, being uh, too much of the world. But, but Lord, teach us to be in the world, but not of it. Teach us to navigate this world in grace and in truth and help us shine the light of the reality of King Jesus in everything we do. Lord, would, when people look at our lives, would our lives scream, Jesus is Lord and he is good. Come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, the Lamb's name who is on the throne. And everybody said in the chat, amen.